We're starting a new series that's going to be taking us through the first eight months of this year. And uh, kind of in connection with the, the building project that we're doing, trying to uh, get ready to do some major reconstruction on this building. It's kind of expensive, so I'm going to be doing my part. I'm going to be saving money on these projector bulbs up here for the next eight months. Uh, we're not going to do PowerPoint um, for, for a little while. Um, and that, that really just has to do with the fact that we're not preaching in topical series. So, uh, we're, And we're also, the other thing is that uh, we're going to be doing larger texts as we uh, go through this. They're not, they're not topical sermons. We're going to be taking a look at some of the texts of, um, of each week that we've been reading. Uh, and so if you're, you're going along through and, and reading, you'll, you'll notice that, that, that whatever it is we're talking about Sunday, you've read that last week. Uh, and, and so I want to kind of introduce a little bit of what we've, what we've decided to do here as a congregation, if you're visiting, is, is to take the Bible in, a, in, in eight months. I know some people say, well, a year, or it's not really anything magical about, about eight months or a year or whatever. Uh, so this is the first week that we've gone through, uh, started on Thursday, and, and just started reading, um, and we kind of do it Wednesday to Wednesday. It's structured for our classes on Wednesday or midweek, if you're a Thursday or Tuesday, whatever. Uh, but to, to discuss as a group uh, the things we're reading, uh, to ask questions or whatever. Why read it in eight months? There's, as I say, nothing magical about eight months. Um, it, it is a big, daunting task when you think about that. I mean, Bible in a year is bad enough. I mean, that's, that's hard. What about in, a, in, in eight months that you're speeding it up? So, uh, just so you understand, that there's an average of 130 verses per day if you do it in eight months. Um, some, some more, some less. We kind of do it by chapter, so some days we'll have 150. Some days you might be reading 80, 90. So I, I, read, uh, I read the first day, and I came up here, and I, I like to read it out loud. Sometimes when you're reading, um, you know, especially if you're reading on a screen instead of a book, uh, if you're reading on a screen, you kind of you, you flip a couple of times, and you realize that your eyes are kind of glazed over, and you haven't really uh, paid attention to the last couple of minutes. You know, it's like, I have no idea what I've read. My eyes just kind of glazed over and just kind of skimmed through there as I got to back up. And it takes a little while. I was like, man, that took a while. So I came up here just, just the first day and I read it out loud just to see how daunting this task was. It took me 17 minutes to read uh, the entire first day. That averages out. Um, I didn't count all the verses, but if there was 130 verses, that would be about 7.8 seconds per verse. So it's actually not as, as, as hard as you would uh, imagine. So, uh, but why eight months? Let me tell you a little story. Um, and and some, this you might, you might track with this. Uh, maybe you remember this. It depends on how old you are. When I was a kid, I liked to go to visit my grandparents' house. And uh, because grandparents don't have rules, typically, uh, my grandparents didn't have a lot of rules. Uh, and, and in the summertime, I, 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 we'd go down and visit New York, and, and, and I'd be at my, my grandparents' house, and Saturday was the day, because Saturday was when cartoons came on. That was great. So you get up earlier in the morning, you eat your sugar cereal, and, and you're all ready. You're loaded up for the cartoons. Uh, so, so we watched the cartoons. And you flip, and the girl cartoons come on, and there was no girls. Uh, it was just me and my brother, and, and so we could flip to all the, the, the good cartoons. And... Uh, 
eventually you reach the point where, okay, this one went to bowling. Oh, well, I'm not watching bowling. So you flip the channel, hope to find something, and, and then you found out that, um, that uh, oh, this, this station over there was doing roller derby. Oh, I ain't watching roller derby. And so if you go back, there was this other, there was these round knobs, and there was two of them on the station, on the TV set, and, and one of them had these letters on it, and I, I didn't know what it meant, but you went to the UHF, and you dared touch the UHF. That's how much we were, we were willing to watch, car- how much we wanted cartoons. We would touch that other dial. And I knew there wasn't nothing on there, it's like static, but you'd flip through it anyway, just because. We really wanted cartoons, so we start flipping through. And about you get like four clicks in, and there was this guy, uh, and he has a white guy with an afro. And I just remember the white guy with afro painting stuff. Right? Bob Ross. And uh, I, I remember, I was like, oh. And Bob Ross was the sign that it was time to go outside. There was nothing left. There was no cartoons. If Bob Ross was on, it was time to go outside. Uh, now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, there's value. And I remember, you know, you'd, you'd sit there and try to watch for just just to procrastinate the going outside in the hot sun. And, and, and he'd get up there, and, and there's the, the painting in the details, and the painting of the details. And sometimes we want to read the Bible and look at all the details. There is a tremendous amount of value in that. But there's times where you just want to back away and look at the picture. The big picture, and that's what we're doing. It's called the big idea. We're going to be looking at, for the next eight months, some big ideas in the scriptures. We're not going to look at all the little de- teeny tiny details. The little individual strokes, those are great. We want to look at some big ideas, some big concepts. And so today we were going to begin, and as I said, we're going to be reading some longer texts. We're going to read, uh, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1 uh, today. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, is the first section. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light that was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And so the evening and the morning were the first day. Now we're going to skip down. We could read this whole chapter. We're not. Uh, want to make a couple of points from it. So we're going to get to verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the middle of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons, days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser to rule the night. And he made the stars also. He set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now, when we read this, this chapter, we like to get to the good part. And probably the most important part is at the end of the chapter, which talks about man being created and we are made in his image. And, and that has to do a little bit with what we're going to talk a little bit about later. Uh, we're going to get to another chapter here in the beginning. But I want to talk about, we're really going to cover two main ideas. And the first is, is what we find in Genesis 1. It's important. The two things we're going to talk about today ha- have to do with the rest of what you will read 
These things weren't just randomly stated. They weren't just, hey, here's a nice story. Here's thousands and thousands, of, or hundreds and thousands, whatever, of years that, that covered this period. And you'll notice that from, from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 6. I mean, we're talking about centuries and centuries and centuries and, and only a few chapters. There's, these are the main ideas. These are the big ideas. And God's putting these down because he wants them to be the foundation for everything that is going to come after. Now, creation runs in two parts. I want to talk about the order of God. I want to talk about the intelligence of God. That's the, the first thing that jumps out. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. This is not an original idea, so I'm not going to pass it off as my original thought. But uh, it was pointed out to me. If you want to, if you want to steal it, therefore, and, and, and pass it off as, as your own, that's fine. But creation runs through in two segments. And in days one, two, and three, he creates the environment of everything. And then he backs up and starts over and each day that of those first 3 days corresponds through the second cycle where he fills each environment. I'll give you an example. And and, and we're going to look at the first one. So so in Genesis 1 he creates essentially the universe. He creates the heavens and the earth. The two main objects right he creates space we could say the boundaries of the universe and then he runs through in day four and he fills it with the stars and with the moons and all these other things he populates it now you could look at and day two then corresponds to day five where he creates oceans and atmosphere and and then in day five he populates those oceans with fish and he populates the the atmosphere with birds then on day three he spends a lot of time with with the earth itself with the with the terrestrial environment and then he populates all that uh on day six with with man and and with the animals and see this so there's this order that God has and he shows, but I want to focus on the day one and day four comparison because it's not, it's not the funnest part to look at, but it's incredibly important to establish one point. That is, first of all, you know, when we read this chapter, we want... We're pressured to believe certain things by those who are around us. We're pressured to believe that this is millions and millions of years. And you can't watch a movie about science without it being millions and millions and billions of years. But that is not what this chapter says. Now, the Bible says that God did not speak to Moses, who wrote this, in metaphors. That's what it says in Numbers says he just spoke to him and said what he wanted to say. He did not speak to him in pictures. He did not speak figuratively. He just said what he wanted to say. And that is important because this word, day, means a day. That's what it means. In fact, in this chapter, repeatedly, he not only refers to a day, but he refers to the individual components of a day, the evenings and the mornings. 
And yet there are people who, who feel pressured to want to, to try to uh, accommodate those who are critical of this book, who don't even believe in this book, and want to try to accommodate them. And let's try to fudge this millions of years in here, but it doesn't exist. You can't get it. You can't get it in here unless you want it to be in here. You can't read this. These are words that mean things. And when Moses used the word day, you can look universally when you read Moses. And he used the word day, he meant day. Sometimes even the specific portions of a day. The word referring to years is different. In fact, that's kind of an important point. Because in the second part, in day four, when he's talking about the the stars and everything else, he says, let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. Now, if days here means years, then this phrase, this sentence, means nothing. If days is, is this metaphorical long periods of time, then that statement has no value whatsoever as a statement to be understood. But when Moses wrote, let them be for signs and seasons, days and years, we understand that days meant days. And years meant years. In fact, when Moses will refer back to this event later, he will do so with words that mean years. So so he will talk about, uh, understand that the entire concept of, of the Hebrew religion was based on this being literal. So, for example, the Sabbath day. What was the Sabbath day for? It was to keep the Sabbath day because that's the day when he rested. Right? And so, so he refers to... Now, they, they had a literal day. They didn't have a period of millions of years where they rested. It was a day that they rested to commemorate the day that God rested. You see, everything is literal. This is significant. This is not just a small point. And so often we say, well, it's not really important. It is important. And I'm going to tell you why it's important. The implication, first of all, is that this is the easiest thing for me to believe. I know it's, it, it's, it's portrayed as this thing that's it's supposed to be so hard to believe. A literal creation. A literal creation is one of the easiest things in the Bible to believe. Because it is, it's very easy for me to believe that an incredibly omnipotent creator could do this in, mo- in a moment. That's not difficult to believe. If I can believe in the creator, then the creation is easy. And think about this. Christ is called the Logos, the Word. He is the Word of creation. And, and the Bible says that... God spoke things into existence. Is that literal? Can we trust that then? Or or is that all figurative? If if that's true, that he spoke it into existence, A, and B, it took millions of years, then we have a God who talks really slowly. I mean, he spoke and it took a million years to talk? This makes no sense. Why... Do we want to believe in it? Because the majority believes in it. That's why we want to believe in it. And here's the problem with the majority. First of all, the majority tends to be wrong. 
at some point in time. And the majority, a lot of times, abandons things and then come back to things later on. This chapter establishes, and these chapters establish so many concepts. They establish family. They establish gender roles. They establish all these things that that our society in the last hundred years has tried to upend. And yet, they start to come back to it. Let me give you an example. In the last century, the idea of a family unit has begun to be ridiculed. So, uh, divorce, we saw divorce skyrocket, for example. Da! Marriages, that's an old idea. The nuclear family, bah! Who cares about that? As recently as 1994, they, they, they started this poll in the 90s, tracking the opinions of seniors, graduating seniors, and what they thought about certain things as they left. And one of the things they've been tracking was what they thought, what these graduating seniors thought about the role of a family in the family unit. And, and, and in, in 1994, only 42% of graduating seniors thought that it was good for one parent to be home with children in the home, in the daytime. So that means that, if my math is correct, that 58% thought that it was better for both parents to be working. Why? Because that was in the, in the 80s and 90s. We were taught and we were raised with the importance of, 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 of building a financial security for our kids. And that was important. And, and having a nice house and having all the education paid for. And that was the thing. So, so when, those, when those kids grew up with those values and started to graduate in the 90s, why, that was, that was what they, they thought of. This is important. Well... That is flipped. 58% in a recent poll, 58% now believe that one, this is graduating seniors, raised by those people who had those kids in the 90s, these are now their kids. And they're raised and they're thinking, they're graduating, and they're thinking, you know what, it's better if we had had a, a, a parent. 58% of them think that it is better for one parent to be home. Interesting how that changes. Well, an idea becomes unpopular, and then you wait a generation or two, and it starts to get popular again. It's amazing how people come back to what God made. That majority, when they run away from a true concept, they'll come back. Divorce. How many people get divorced? Oh, it's so skyrocket. Again, these numbers... In the 80s, it kind of peaked. In the 70s and 80s, divorces peaked. Do you know right now, 70% of marriages that began in the mid-90s celebrated their 15th, 16th, 17th anniversaries. Did you know that? 70%. People are coming back around to this idea that, you know what, the family unit's kind of a good thing. What God made in the beginning is kind of a good thing. Don't abandon Genesis chapter 1 because of the majority. Because the majority has been wrong on these things before. 
When God says something, you can trust it. The second idea, I want to talk about the purpose of life. Why, and not just life in general, but the purpose of religion. When we talk about the purpose of life and, and why we're here and what does God want and why did God make us, one of the things that's interesting is that as you, you know, I, I was not prepared for questions when I went overseas. I, I was raised in a religious mindset. So I, everything I have assumed or, or taught or believed is based on certain assumptions that I was raised with. But I went over to a different country that wasn't, where, where the people were not raised with a religious mindset. Or at least not, they were religious, but they weren't versed in their religion. And I got questions that I was not prepared for. And so why does religion exist in the first place? I don't know. And, and my answers are, so I use this question to a lot of people now. I use this question because I find that people can't answer it. I was raised, I mean, in the church, and I, was, I went to a Bible college, and I got a master's degree and stuff, and, and I couldn't answer this question without supposing the answer. In other words, all of my answers had to do with supposing that religion exists, but the question is, why, does it, why is it here in the first place? And every answer I give, well, because we need to get in contact with God and we need all these things. And every answer had to do with the supposition that religion exists. Not, that's, that's called circular reasoning. When you go back and read in the beginning, there was no religion. There were no church buildings. There were no song services, as far as we know. There was no sermons. There was no communion. There was none of these things that we see as important religious things. So when did it happen? Why does it happen? And this is the foundational concept that we begin with. And so I want to read, uh, we, we talked about Genesis 1.27, in the beginning, or, or, or when, when God made man, he's, he says uh, that, that God made man in his image. In his image he created them, male and female. So I want to jump over to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read a couple of sections. Genesis chapter 3, and first we're going to read verses 1 through 8. He says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, or, you will, or touch it, or you will die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit, she ate it, and she gave it to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We're going to skip. We're not going to read this whole thing. We're going to skip to the end of the story. Because we know how the thing goes and they talk with God and God punishes them and all, all the things he says to Adam and the things he says to Eve and the things he says to, to Satan. We want to skip to all past the end of that. In chapter, 20, or chapter 3, verse 21, he says, Now for Adam is, um, and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us into knowing good and evil. And so that he doesn't put his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Well, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden 
to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove out the band, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, of all the verses that we've read, a verse stands out to me that might not stand out to you. I think a little bit differently. I understand that. The verse that stands out among all these verses is verse 8. And this is a weird thought that I thought I'm probably not the first one to think of it. This was original, even if I'm not the first one to think of it. How did God, or excuse me, how did Adam and Eve know the sound? It says they heard the sound of God. It didn't say they saw God. It said they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. Now, how do you know the sound of somebody walking? I mean, I assume, now, how do you know what somebody's, how do you know somebody's walking in the garden? How did they know, didn't, how, how did they know that? Oh, that was an elephant. I mean, I assume God has heavy steps or something, you know. How did they know that wasn't an elephant or a woolly mammoth come through the, through the garden? Or, or how did they know that wasn't a dinosaur or whatever the case was? You know, how did they know that wasn't something big? How did they know that was God? Well, you know, in your house, if you've got a bunch of people in your house or have had at any point in time a bunch of people in your house, I'll bet you can know when, without even hearing them, who comes up the stairs or who's coming down or who's walked in. Uh, you just know without having seen it. Why? Because you're used to them. And that's the important thing, isn't it? That's the giveaway. They knew the sound of God in the garden because it's not the first time he's been there. And we're getting somewhere with this. And so they ran and hid. They had a guilty conscience. So what was God doing in the garden? Well, this time he was there to punish them. He knew what they were up to. That question's a rhetorical question. Why did you hide yourselves? Well, here's the thing. What was God doing in the garden up until then? That's the more important thing. That's the more important question. Well, what God was doing in the garden was he was having a relationship with them. See, there was no reason to punish them before this. So, so if he was in the garden, it was for good reasons, I assume. And it says he, that, that uh, he came walking in the cool of the evening. I assume they were used to God coming at a particular time of the day. What do you do in the cool of... Now, I, I misquoted that. It says the cool of the day. I always naturally picture myself in the cool of the evening, not in the cool of the morning. Now, every once in a while, when I have to get up that early, and I go out, and the, you know it's summertime and it's still cool in the morning, you see people jogging. I don't know what they're doing at that time of day, but they're suffering together, I guess. You see them jogging in groups. You know, I guess they, they figure they'd rather suffer in groups. Uh, but, you know... I tend to want to do things in the evening uh, with, with my time. And so, you know, it's like it's evening. It's a nice part of the day. It's kind of cooling down. Hey, let's have a barbecue. Let's invite people over. We want to do things together. We want to spend time together with friends and family or whatever in the nice part of the day. Hot part of the day, we won't want to do anything. I want to, I, I'm, I'm looking for air conditioning in the hot part of the day. But in the cool part of the day, I want to be with people. What, who, are, are they doing something tonight? Let's do something. And that's what there was in the beginning. That's what there was. There was no religion. There was a relationship. And sin changed all of that. These are the two concepts that we're going to carry with us 
every week, every day that you read. And I know there's going to be some challenges. We're going to get to Leviticus and there's going to be some challenging days to find something that applies to you. But I want you to know that every day that you read, it's about two things. Number one, what you read you can trust. We be, have to begin trusting what we read. If you can't trust the first page of your Bible, you cannot trust anything else after that. If you're beginning on the page one and you're trying to find excuses why it doesn't mean what it says it means, then there's no purpose in you reading any pages beyond that. He begins where he begins for a reason. To establish who God is, how powerful God is, and what God did, and how that applies to everybody. The structure and the organization and the intelligence, the power of God. And the second thing is that you are made for a relationship. And everything that happens after this, all the religion that will come after this, will be to try to repair what man broke. It'll start slowly. We, we finish chapter 3, and that, that shows us the, the, the separation of man from God. And Genesis chapter 4 begins with sacrifices. The first religious thing in chapter 4 of Genesis will end with prayers. They began calling on the name of the Lord. And, and so it began very simple. Religion begins very simple. But every day that you will read, understand that what you read is from God. And you can trust it. The promises in here you can trust. The punishments in here you can trust. Everything in here you can trust that God means what He says. Pay no attention to the people that look at rocks. Pay attention to the one who made the rocks. And look in this book for the answers to the things that you struggle with every day. The answers will be in here. This one book is the book you need. And these two things we talked about are the two biggest ideas that you will come across from now to the end. There's, oh, there's some big ideas. We're going to handle a lot of big ideas. And we talk about Christ and we talk about things. But these two things are the foundational elements. And that's why they're at the beginning. These two things will build the structure for everything from here on out.